Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want you to turn with me in your Bible tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Three weeks ago tonight, I... uh, ministered on the subject of spiritual warfare and uh, really just got uh, it introduced, some of the things that I wanted to say just sort of started. Tonight I want to go further. We're not going to take a lot of time spending, uh, you know, spend a lot of time in in the verses that I looked at last week. Uh, We spent a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 2, but you're familiar with those. So I want to go back to 2 Corinthians 10 and verse number 3 again. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Notice he said, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. It didn't say we didn't war. It said we do not war according to the flesh. Then it says in verse 4, the weapons of our warfare. So there is a warfare for the believer, for the Christian. But uh, uh, like any Bible subject, people sometimes take verses out of their context and they build an entire doctrine, an entire system of doctrine and behavior and practices and and uh, and so forth around a verse of scripture without taking it in its context and then balancing it out with what the rest of the Bible says. And so there is a, a, a warfare that we're involved in. And uh, But like I mentioned last time, people took back in the 90s, and it's not the first time it's happened, it's happened in, in you know, generations before, these, these errors tend to come around in cycles. You know, every 30, 40 years, you know, it seems like Things will, you know, have died out because they produced bad fruit and uh, people were hurting and just, you know, caused problems. So they became unpopular, they died out, people didn't even want to talk about them. And uh, we're kind of at that stage right now where, where, uh, where demonology and talking about evil spirits is concerned. And, uh, and then, you know, after that generation passes, you know, another gullible generation comes up and they start listening to the same uh, lies. And so it says here, the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The error that, that, uh, that I was most familiar with, this came about in the, in the uh, uh, 1990s. And it's, it was actually around before then, but it sort of reached its zenith, you know, its, its peak of uh, popularity in the 1990s. And the idea was that Christians could get together uh, in a town or in a, ge- uh, a geographical location and they could drive the evil spirits that were associated with that town or that area, they could drive them out. They could pull down. And the idea was that over cities and nations and, and, and towns and you know large areas, small areas, that there were these demonic strongholds. In other words, sort of like, sort of like a nest of demon spirits, you know, that had gained control over the spiritual climate of a, of a nation or of a, a city or a state. And, uh, and these, were, these were demonic 
strongholds. In other words, it was, a, it was the devil had a, an unusual uh, grip and people that were in those areas were un, under oppression because of the stronghold of the enemy. And so they would uh, come together and, uh, and pretend to pull these strongholds. They, they thought they were pulling them down, but they weren't. Uh, because this scripture doesn't even mention demons. They use this verse of scripture and talked about demonic strongholds, but there's no reference to demons in here. Notice it says, we do not walk in the flesh. We do not walk, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Well, what kind of a war are we in? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Then in the next verse, it tells us exactly what these strongholds are that we pull down. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the, the strongholds that are under, under discussion in this passage have to do with strongholds in people's thinking. And like I said three weeks ago, uh, that's where our, our main battle is as a Christian. That's where our main uh, a place or theater of combat is in the mind. Because the enemy is constantly trying to assault us with thoughts that are unscriptural, with teachings that are unscriptural, uh, 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 pressing in on us, trying to, to confuse us, draw us aside. And, uh, you know, every kind of sin that people get involved in, they first got involved in with their minds. They started entertaining thoughts that weren't scriptural, that were out of, uh, out of harmony with the word of God. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's sexual sins or, or if somebody ends up, you know, a Christian ends up, uh, uh, you know, uh, stealing something that didn't belong to him. It started in the mind. Started coveting something and said, well, what we're supposed to do as soon as thoughts arise in our mind, we're supposed to judge every thought according to the Bible and then bring those thoughts captive, like it said here, bring them, cast down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Any, any thought that is unscriptural, any passion or temptation that is unscriptural is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And as believers, we'll, we stay out of trouble when we identify these thoughts as quickly as we can and put a stop to them. You have, you and I, you and I, we have to do something with our thoughts, with our, with our minds, with the things that we allow because we live in a world where we're constantly being bombarded with all kinds of philosophies and ideas and temptation that present themselves to our, to our intellect, to our emotions, to our flesh. And we're constantly having to, to assess these things and say, now, wait a minute, that's not scriptural. Too often script pre, uh, Christians don't do that. They allow these thoughts to sort of, sort of linger in their mind because they're, they like to think about them. That's why they call them temptations. They're, they're, not, they're not annoying thoughts, they're tempting thoughts. And, and the flesh, the flesh likes to entertain things of the flesh. The flesh likes to entertain offense. Flesh likes to be offended. Somebody didn't look at you right. The flesh wants to get puffy about it. Feel like you were slighted. Pastor didn't even speak to me. Well, there's a lot of people I didn't speak to tonight. 
my, my mom, I can talk about my mom now because she's been in heaven a long time and all of her brothers and sisters are in heaven too, except one. And uh, he's still here. And, but he didn't care anyway. Crotchety old fella. Uncle Sonny, what a, what a colorful man. Anyway, my mom, she, she would get offended. I, as a teenager, I would remember this. She'd, I'd come, we'd come home from church and she was all huffy. So, so they didn't, they, they didn't, they walked by and they didn't even speak. That was, that was her expression. Didn't even speak. I'd, and I'd say, well, mom, did you speak to them? Well, no, but they didn't even speak. And I said, well, they probably thought the same thing about you. Sister Lily walked right by me. She just didn't even speak. You know, that's, that's funny, but it's, it's, it happens all the time. People get offended and the flesh likes to feel sorry for itself. Flesh likes to feel like you, you, it's been, you've been mistreated. Because when you've been mistreated, it gives you excuse to not be nice. That's just one example. Well, thoughts like that, uh, what would you do in a situation like this? You know what? That's not, that's not scriptural to be offended at my brother or my sister. They, they probably didn't even, didn't even realize they didn't speak. They were probably thinking about something else, had nine things on their mind, just like I did. And just pass it over. Don't eat. It's not a matter of even forgiving it. Just discount it. They, they didn't mean anything. Well, what about those times when people do mean something? I mean, there are people that'll actually intend to offend you. They'll say things that are mean and hateful. Well, the scriptural response is to forgive them. That's casting down the wrong thought and bring it into harmony with the word of God. That's what this is talking about. So this passage does not teach Casting devils out of cities and towns or pulling down demonic strongholds in the heavens. See, they talked about all of these uh, demonic strongholds in the heavens. Now, as I mentioned three weeks ago, demon spirits are real. Demons are real. If they're not real, Jesus spent spent quite a bit of time doing things that weren't real. Because he, if you read the gospels, he cast devils out of it, cast demons out of people. Well, if they're, you know, and I, and I read one time in a, in a otherwise respected commentary talking about, you know, going through the different verses in the gospel. And it said, well, you know, in those days, in biblical times, people perceived certain uh, physical ailments and things. They, they thought those were the result of demons. So this, this person who was supposedly representing the Bible basically said, Jesus either didn't have enough sense to know that demons weren't real and this was just an, an ailment, you know, that people had and other people thought they were demons. Jesus, he, he thought that too. So he was either ignorant or worse, knowing that they weren't demons, he went ahead and cast them out as if they were. <laughs> Neither of those are good, two good options. No, Jesus spent time casting d- demons out of people. So they're real. And, and like I said last, uh, last or, or three weeks ago, it is true that uh, demon spirits uh, like to stay in particular geographic areas. Turn with me to Mark chapter five. I alluded to this last week, but let's look at it. Mark chapter five. Now this is a good example of Jesus evidently doing something imaginary because he didn't didn't have enough sense to know that these things weren't true or else he was just pulling off a big con job. Amen. 
Mark chapter 5. Let's just read the whole story, 20 verses. Then I'll come back and make the one comment I want to make. This is just to set the stage. Because some people, again, some people don't believe that demons are real. They are absolutely real. Amen. So they came, it, then it came to, to, then they came, sorry, to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, Jesus, had come out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs. That's a good indication. Out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. That's a demon spirit. This man had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with, with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him. And the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. That is, this man who was in this pitiful condition, controlled by demons. When he saw Jesus, he ran to him and worshipped him. But notice, he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore, you, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Well, now, there's no indication in the scripture that Jesus had ever been to this particular country off the one particular shore of the Sea of Galilee. He'd never been there. So how would this man even know who he was? This was that demon spirit using this man's voice and speaking through him. Even though the man was attracted to Jesus and ran to him and tried to worship him, it said that the spirit then overcame him and he cried out with a loud voice, just the opposite of what it indicated. You know, it indicated that he came and he was worshiping him. He wanted help, but then something came out of his mouth completely different. He said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Verse 8 says, for he, Jesus, said to him. What that means is Jesus had said to him. At some point when Jesus saw this man, maybe when the man was running toward him, trying to, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in an attitude of worship, maybe it was at that point that Jesus said to him, come out of him, unclean spirit. So then he asked the man, what is your name? Now, Jesus is not talking to the personality of the man. He's talking to that spirit that just spoke through him. He asked and said, what is your name? He answered saying, my name is Legion for we are many. That is this demon spirit that had possessed this man, was, was, his name was Legion and he brought a, a, a multitude of a, a many, he said many other spirits were with him that had, had gotten inside of this man. And he begged him earnestly, that is this man begged Jesus earnestly, the spirit was speaking through him, that he would not send them out of the country. This, this legend, uh, spirit named legend, this demon named legend, I mean legion, said to him and begged him that he would not send him out of the country. Now that tells us that, that demons are associated with a geographical area and they don't like to leave. Amen. So, uh, there was a, a large herd of swine feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Now notice, then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. 
And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and they told it, told it in the city and in the country. And when they went out, to, then they went out to see what had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he had got into the boat, he who had been demon possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Notice that this man, uh, when these spirits spoke out, they begged Jesus earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. And like I said, that indicates that they're, that they're associated, they're certain demons are associated with certain geographical areas. Well, if they're, if they're attached to that area, uh, when these demons went out of him and went into the swine, the swine, you know, pigs have more sense than humans. Pigs won't let demons live in them. They'd rather die than have a demon live in them, but human beings will just put up with them. So these, these pigs ran into the, into the water and were drowned, jumped into the sea and were drowned. And, uh, the man who, uh, when, they, when the people came to Jesus, they saw the one who had been demon-possessed sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Notice, as soon as these spirits went out of him, he was completely set free. Now, you can't explain that away by psychology or any other type of, of uh, a mental or emotional process. This man was supernaturally delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the only person. There's several occurrences in Jesus' ministry where he cast the spirits out of people. So uh, it is true that demons are associated with a geographical area. Now, I would imagine, though I can't prove it, but it just makes sense to me that if those spirits didn't want to leave that area, uh, not only did they not want to, they didn't have to. Because Jesus could have, if he could send them into another geographical area, seems like he would have found a place way out in the middle of the desert where there wasn't anybody and sent them out there. So they, they begged him to not send them out of the area, and he didn't. So that tells me that they had a claim somehow on that area. Well, what happened after the pigs died, after the pigs committed suicide? Those spirits came back out of those pigs and probably went into other people again. I've found that demons don't get into people real quick, though. They, they, they don't just take possession of a person overnight. It's a process. So they probably went, started working on people through tempting them and their thought life and, and their behavior until they gradually got other people to, maybe one person or several people to submit to them. And eventually those demon spirits would get into somebody else. Well, when those other people finally died or if they got delivered or didn't get delivered, when they died, those spirits would come out and try to get into somebody else. I would assume that the same demons that Jesus cast out that day in the, in the country of the Gadarenes, if you went to that part of the world, they're probably still there. There's still probably people manifesting the same kind of lunacy 
uh, living in the cemetery, cutting themselves, running around naked, screaming, you know, just tormented out of their minds because that's what these spirits were driving people to do. So it's true, said all that to say this, it's true that demon spirits do associate with certain areas. I mentioned, you know, different cities. I mentioned uh, New Orleans. It's just one. Have you ever been to New Orleans? There's, there's a lot of witchcraft in New Orleans. There's spirits that are associated with that. I mean, voodoo is, is practiced and people know it. And, and uh, you say, well, you believe in all of that? I don't, I don't believe in anything phony, but I'm telling you, demon spirits are real. And there's a lot in the magical arts and in, and in sorcery and so forth that's trickery, sleight of hand. A lot of it is nothing in the world but people putting on and making up stuff. But on the other hand, there are people who actually get over into that dark realm and, and the devil accommodates them. And so you can go into different towns and areas and there are uh, demon spirits that, that habitate there. And it causes that area to take on that type of characteristic. And so that's, that's what, I, what I was talking about when I was talking about uh, Las Vegas. I mean, uh, New Orleans. Las Vegas has got a different kind of spirit. Uh, New Orleans, when you're there, you, you sense the witchcraft. And that, and that doesn't mean you're going around being demon conscious, trying to you know, sort things out and trying to you know, search and see what kind of demon spirits are. You just, you just know that they're there. Uh, these things are, are real, but... The point I was making is, is we cannot drive them out. If, if Jesus couldn't, then we can't. And the people who used to, you know, to, used to uh, uh, be engaged in this false doctrine, you know, that they'd get together and drive demons out of, they're just waste, they were wasting their time and probably just playing uh, in, with something they really didn't understand. And the devil was probably accommodating them. I remember at the height of this, uh, this movement, uh, people would fly. People, there, this was a, a large movement of people in the body of Christ who followed this particular practice. And they would have their conventions and their meetings and their, and their uh, connections with one another. And they'd pick out a town and they'd, hundreds of people would go to a particular city and they're going to intercede and they're going to you know, cast the devils and drive this, you know, pull those strongholds down. And so they would get together and they would pray and, and intercede and, and pray in tongues. And it, it, it developed into war and what they called warring tongues. I mentioned this last time where they would actually pray in the spirit, you know, in, in tongues, but they were praying at the devil, you know, casting the devil out and pulling him down with what they called warring tongues. The problem with that is the Bible says he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So we don't speak to the devil in other tongues. That's absurd. They, I'm not saying that they weren't actually praying in tongues. I'm not saying that their tongues weren't legitimate, but their, their thinking was wrong. And uh, it, it got really ridiculous. Uh, people would, would, would uh, charter airplanes because they felt like if they got up in the heavenlies, the higher they got up in the atmosphere, the more authority they would have over evil spirits. I'm not making this up, as President Biden says. I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. They would get into airplanes, charter airplanes, and fly into the heavenlies and fly over cities and, and, and war in other tongues, thinking they're going to pull down the strongholds. Uh, other people thought, you know, if they got up on a high hill overlooking a city, that they would be up, you know, in a, in a higher place spiritually. Well, all of that's nonsense. On the other hand, why am I even bringing this up? We do encounter demon spirits. Amen. 
And there is a, a warfare in the spirit that we are faced with. In Ephesians chapter 6, turn over there. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord. This is verse 10. And in the power of his might. His might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or stand against the wiles of the devil. Now notice verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Notice we do not wrestle against people. Our battle isn't against people, but there is a battle. Too often church members get involved in battling people. They try to fight things, not just, not just attacking someone, but too often people try to attack problems or deal with problems by dealing with people and getting in the flesh, and it's, and it's, uh, it's, not, it's not helpful. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Well, if, if that's true, and it certainly is, we need to know more about the operation of demons. We need to know what their limitations are and what, their, what uh, uh, liberty they have. Because if you don't understand uh, your enemy's position, you can make assumptions that, uh, that, that hamstrings you in, in dealing with that enemy. Isn't that right? Well, the same thing is true where, where demon spirits are. In back in uh, Mark's gospel, go to, we, in Mark's gospel, it says that the spirits begged him that he would not make them leave that area. And uh, well, look at Mark again. There's something there. Mark chapter 5 again. Notice in verse, tw- in verse 7, the last part of this verse, when the spirit was speaking, he said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of God, Most High? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Well, if you go over in, I think it's in Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter, I think it's chapter 8. Look at Matthew. uh, Yeah, in, in Matthew 8, verse 29, this is the same story that is recorded in Mark chapter 5. But in Matthew, in Matthew 8, it says, Suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So the spirits understood that there was a time that, uh, for their judgment and that, and that the time had not come. So that tells us that uh, something interesting about demon spirits, that they're here for a period of time. And if Jesus could have cast them out and told them to leave, he certainly would have, but he evidently understood that they had a right to be there for the time being. Now go with me also to Luke's gospel. And uh, 
It's also, I think it might be in the 8th chapter. Yeah, in the 8th chapter of Luke's gospel. It says then, verse 26, they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he had stepped out, of the la- out on, on the land, there met him a, a certain man from, from the city who had demons for a long time. He wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you that you do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons into the wilderness. And he asked the man, what is your name? And he said, Legion, uh, because many demons had, uh, had entered him. Notice here, he said, do not torment me before the time. Same thing we, we read before. There is a time for someone, uh, for, for demons to operate, and before their time is up, you can't get rid of them. So what is that time? We need to know that. In uh, dealing with dem- demons, I've cast demons out of people before. Uh, but I've, I've not been as probably as uh, alert to it as, as I ought to be over the years because there's been so much misuse and abuse uh, along this line. And so many of people have done things that were unscriptural that it, it sort of makes you want to pull back. Uh, I remember when my wife and I first got back into uh, fellowship with the Lord, we were going to the church of God. And then... Uh, this, I, I, I was introduced to the Word of Faith in, in uh, early 1973. And so my friends and I, we were reading all of the Word of Faith books, all of Brother Hagin's books, learning all we could about the operation of the Spirit and how to live by faith and how to walk in love and all of those things. We were in the Church of God. Well, in uh, 1976, a man graduated from Ramah, and he was from Jacksonville where we lived, and he returned home and started a church. And so we were so excited that there was a, a Rama graduate had started a church. It was going to be a word of faith church in Jacksonville. So my friends and I would start visiting this church. We would go on, over on other nights. We had church on Sundays and Wednesdays. Well, this man had church on Thursday. So we would go to his services on Thursday. And it was just so refreshing to be, uh, be around uh, pure, unadulterated faith teaching because we weren't getting that you know, in our, in our denominational church. But this man had uh, an affinity for what was called the deliverance ministry. Now, I believe in the deliverance ministry, and, and Jesus practiced deliverance two ways. He cast devils out of people. He cast demons out of people. But he also preached deliverance to the captives. Remember Luke chapter 4? Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he is anointing me to preach the gospel to the poor, to, to heal the brokenhearted. Preach deliverance to the captives. People can get free from demons by just hearing the word. Amen. And, and that's the part that I've favored all the years. Put, put the word in people. But I haven't, I haven't completely shied away from, from actually casting demons out of people, but I haven't probably been as, as alert to as, as I should. But I have a conviction that as the day approaches, the return of the Lord, as we get closer and closer to the return of the Lord, we're going to see more and more demonic activity. You can already see it in our culture. I mean, there, I mean our, our culture has become more and more uh, sick, demented, uh, oppressed, vulgar, ungodly. 
So you can see the effects of demons in our, in our culture. And for us to be effective as Christians, we're going to have to be a little more aggressive than we have been and learn how to confront these things when it's the appropriate time. Amen. So uh, let's talk about these things a little bit tonight, maybe next week. I don't know, going forward, uh, exactly when we'll do it. But, uh, you know, we are going out of town. My wife and I are going out of town. We're going to Africa here in about 10 days. So uh, I don't know when my next opportunity will be to teach on this. Uh, where do these demons come from and what is their authority? Why do they have the right? Evidently, they have the right to be here because if Jesus could have cast them out, then certainly he would have. Isn't that right? Amen. Uh, in verse, we were right here in Luke chapter eight. Look back up at verse 31. They begged, not only did they beg him that he, they would not torment him before the time, they begged him not to com- command them to go into the abyss, that is into hell. These demons begged Jesus not to send them to hell. Well, you know, if Jesus could have, he would have. And you know, if he could have, he would have known it. And he would have. Apparently, there was a reason why he couldn't do that. And again, there is a time. Well, in Genesis chapter one, we know that when God created uh, the heavens and the earth, that Everything was perfect in its, in its original creation. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Say, so, Pastor, you're going to start in, in Genesis 1? We're in for a ride, aren't we? we we're going to skip a few verses. Though. We weren't, we're not just going to go through the Bible directly from here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This word uh, in verse 2 that says uh, the earth was without form, in multitudes of places in the Old Testament, that verb is translated became or becomes. And so it could read the earth became without form and void. In fact, many good translations render it this way. I've got a couple written here in my Bible. The Rotherham translation says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth had become waste and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, but the Spirit of God was brooding on the face of the waters. The uh, Fenton translation, which is is, uh, a modern translation of the Bible, said, But the earth was unorganized and empty, and darkness covered its convulsed surface, while the breath of God rocked the surface of its waters. So this presents a a different uh, uh, picture of creation. Most people look at Genesis 1 and these verses, and they think that God created the heavens and the earth, and he created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. But that's not true at all. God, The Bible says God is not the, the author of confusion. God has never created anything imperfect. It's against his nature. So if you read it this other way, the earth became without form and void. Or like the, the uh, uh, Rotherham translation says, now the earth had become waste and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. We know that judgment uh, being in, in the form of uh, what we see in Noah's day, that when because of sin in Noah's day, the earth was judged. 
and God's wrath was poured out and a massive flood took place. So we know that God does bring cataclysmic judgment on, on the physical earth as a, in a, as a response to sin, because of sin is what I'm trying to say. Well, you would, you would think that in other places where that's happened, that the circumstances would be, would be very similar and it would be easy to confuse one with another. Let's go to, let's go to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. And let's look at verse number 12. Now this is the story, you might see this caption in your, in your Bible over this section of, of scripture. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, that is hell, to the lowest depth of the pit. Now this is a picture and, and this, this is the account that the Bible gives us of Lucifer's uh, judgment. How that he rebelled against God and was cast down to the ground. Now, it's interesting that he says, he said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. When we see, when we see Satan in the book of Genesis, when he first shows up in the garden, he, has, he is already a fallen being. So Genesis doesn't give the account of, of, of Lucifer's fall. He comes into the picture and he's already fallen. He's already been cast out. Well, this is a picture of, of, of how that happened. But he said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. It shows us that Satan evidently was below the clouds. He was beneath heaven and he had a throne. Well, where would that have been? Where, where was it beneath the heavens? Where did, he, where did he exist? Well, we do know this. It's interesting that as soon as man shows up, modern man shows up on the planet, Satan is right there to try to pervert and try to thwart what God is doing with this creation that started with Adam. Why, did the, why, does, why does Satan have such an attachment to the earth? I contend that the kingdom that he had, that he operated in, was on this planet earth before Adam was here. It says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. If somebody has a throne, they have a kingdom. And a kingdom uh, is, there are people involved in a kingdom. So Lucifer, he was called Lucifer then, he's called Satan now. He had, a, he had a kingdom that he ruled over. So there must have been people that he ruled. And he had a throne. And he got lifted up in pride and launched an, an attack against the throne of God. 
He said, I'm going to exalt myself above the throne of God. I'm going to exalt myself above God. I'm going to rise up and be greater than him. In uh, another picture of this is in uh, Ezekiel 28. Go over to Ezekiel 28. In verse 11, the prophet says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take a lamentation, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Now, it sounds like he's talking to an earthly king, but when you read what he said, you see that he couldn't have been talking to a natural man. Speaking to this king of Tyre, who is really the devil, he said, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, now, this, the, the king of Tyre in that day couldn't have been in Eden. So this is talking about an ordinary man. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, and lists all these stones. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub. So again, it's not a, it's not a human being. You are the anointed cherub who covers, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You went back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within. You sinned and therefore I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. So this again is a picture of of God judging Satan. Well, in uh, did, if he had a kingdom, it appears that it was probably on the earth. Uh, let's go over to, let's go to Jeremiah and let's look at the, let's see. Yeah, Jeremiah chapter four. Jim, Jeremiah four gives us a little more insight. Glory to God. Now the prophet here, Jeremiah, is seeing in the spirit something. And he said, I beheld the earth and and indeed it was without form and void and the heavens, they had no light. If you read the Genesis account, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse two reads, and it was without form and and void. If you read it the way we read it a moment ago, it's, it says the, that the earth became without form and void. So it would seem that the earth wasn't that way in the beginning. There's also been no time since Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. There's not been a time since the creation of Adam that the earth has been without form and void. It hasn't been in that condition since. But the prophet saw it that con- in that condition. So the prophet here is looking back at that time between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. What we, what we uh, believe is that there in between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is a great gap of time that could be millions of years, could be uh, any number of, of years, probably a very lengthy period of time. The reason we say that is the prophet saw the earth and it was indeed without form and, and, and void and the heavens had no light. I beheld the mountains. Now this is, this is, this could not be any time after Adam. 
because there's been no time like this since Adam. I beheld the mountains and indeed they trembled and all of the hills moved back and forth. I beheld and indeed there was no man and the birds of the heavens had fled. I beheld and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness. All its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. So there was a period of time before Adam that the prophet is seeing and judgment had taken place. The earth had been overthrown. The mountains had been overthrown. They trembled. There was a cataclysm. The hills moved back and forth. And it, and there had been man, but they were gone. There had been birds, but they had, there, the, the birds had fled. There had been, the, the earth had been a fruitful land, but now it was a wilderness. And there were cities, but they were broken down. What he's seeing had to be before Adam. Because the, the earth was indeed without form and, and, and void. And that hasn't existed since God created Adam. So before, I'll say it again, before Adam came on the scene, before he was, uh, before uh, the creation as we know it, let's say it's a, a recreation of the earth. The earth was created perfect. Then there was a period of time where uh, uh, Lucifer, who had been cast out of heaven, was cast down to the earth, and he ruled over a a kingdom of men here on this earth. Because there were men, now they're gone, there were birds, they had fled, there was fruitful land, and and now it was a wilderness. There had been cities. So this shows that, that this kingdom that Lucifer was over was on this earth. Because of sin, Lucifer was cast out, His kingdom was taken from him and the earth was destroyed and that's how it became without form and void. That's how the judgment of God resulted in Genesis 1-2 and the earth was without form and void. Well, if that's the case, and there's I don't have time to go into all the scriptures tonight to cover that. If that's the case, if, if judgment fell between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, then if there, and if there, and if there were men and a civilization and cities and that doesn't mean cities like maybe we see them today. I'm not talking necessarily about skyscrapers, but there could have been habitations of men. Those, those creatures would have been spirits. Well, when they were overthrown and they were killed, those spirits are still here. Now, some people believe that demon spirits are fallen angels. That when Lucifer was, you know, we know this from, from Revelation, the book of Revelation, that when Lucifer was, was overthrown, that he took a third of the angels of heaven with him. So a lot of people believe that demon spirits that, he, that inhabit people, that possess people, that they're fallen angels. The only problem with that uh, theory is that angels have never had a human body or a physical body to live in. Therefore, they don't crave getting into people. You don't see any occasion in the Bible where angels actually possess anybody. Even, I mean, fallen angels are good angels. They've never had a physical body. They don't crave to be in a body. Remember when, remember when the demons were cast out? They, they begged Jesus to not cast them into the abyss. And they, they asked if they could go into the swine. Demon spirits evidently crave embodiment. They want to be inside a body. They want to be in humans first and foremost. 
But they will go into animals because we see that. But the point is they don't want to, another place Jesus taught about the unclean spirit. He said when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He goes back to the house, that person's body in which he lived, and he goes back and he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. If he goes in, he takes more spirits with him, and the, and the end result of that person is worse than the first. All of that tells us that demon spirits crave embodiments. They want to get inside. That's, that's where they can make their, their evil most manifest. In the spirit realm, they can't do a lot of, they can't really cause a lot of trouble. But they get inside somebody, start habitating somebody or controlling somebody. They can manifest their wickedness through that person that submitted to them. Angels, like I said, have never have never had that. Uh, they've never had bodies, so these demon spirits try to get in people, and we can't. We can't. We can cast demons out, but we can't make them leave the area because they have a right to be here. Next time we'll talk about uh, how long they have a right to be here for. There is coming a time where all of the devils. Uh, The devil himself and all of his kingdom will be completely driven away from the earth. But that time hasn't come yet. In the meantime, you and I have to be strong against evil spirits. We have to realize that the devil will come against our mind. It's not so much about, it's not so much I'm concerned that Christians would be overcome by devils. Now, Christians cannot be possessed by the devil because believers have the Holy Spirit in them. And the Holy Spirit and and, an evil spirit are not going to take up residence in the same house. But they can come against Christians' minds and trouble them and oppress them and even oppress their bodies. Well, we need to be quick to alert the, I don't, I don't, I'm not so concerned about the devil possessing me. I'm not at all, I should say. I'm not concerned about that. I don't want his thoughts in my mind. I don't want anything he has to do or say having any part of my life. And so we need to, we need to recognize the effects uh, and, and the presence of evil spirits and how they try to come against us and how they try to attack our minds. And we need to stop it right then. Then when, we, when the spirit leads us, we can set other people free. Now it's very important. I know I'm running a few minutes over, but it's very important that we be led of the spirit. If somebody comes to you, church, and says, you know, I'm troubled, I'm oppressed in my mind, and I, you know, it just seems like the devil has got a hold of me, saved or unsaved, if they want help, you have the authority. You have the authority to cast them out. Now, you can just say, I take authority over that spirit that's troubling you, I command it to go in Jesus' name. You have authority to do that. But it's because that person invited you to do it. We don't have authority over human spirits, human beings' wills. We have, a, we have authority in Christ in our own life. You don't need any special leading or anointing to drive the devil out of your life. And you don't really have to have any special leading or anointing to drive the devil out of somebody else's life if they invite you. But other than that, we have to be led by the Spirit. I remember one, one Sunday night, we, this is... Back before COVID, this is several years ago when we had just that one center aisle all the way down the middle of the church. I preached that night, you know, and, and uh, got ready to dismiss. And like I often do, I say, well, does anybody have a need tonight? You know, anybody need prayer for anything? 
And there was a young man that I'd never seen before. And in fact, I hadn't seen him during the service. I didn't, I didn't even knew, I didn't even know he was here. He's hitting back about four or five roads from the back. He must have been sitting several seats in because if he'd been sitting on the edge, I'd have probably noticed him because he, I'd never seen him before. I would have probably just, you know, recognized that there's somebody new. So everybody was standing and I said, you know, does anybody need prayer tonight? Uh, you can come forward. We'll pray for you, whatever you need, you know. And he stepped out and then that's when, that's the first time I'd seen him. And when he stepped out, the, immediately, he stepped out now, immediately the Holy Spirit said, when he comes down here, cast the devil out of him. And I thought, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know what kind of devil he had. I didn't know what he needed. Because I'd never, I didn't even have the opportunity to sort of assess him. You know what I mean? Look at him or anything. I didn't, couldn't size him up, see what he looked like. I didn't, he just stepped out. And before I even knew anything, the, dev, the, the Lord says, cast the devil out of him when he gets up here. Well, as he started walking down to the front, then I realized what his, what his demon was. He, we don't have any children in here, do we? Nobody, none of the kids over here for any reason. Uh, in the Bible, it talks about homosexuals. And in the older King James, it talks about catamites. A catamite is translated, uh, um, is, a, is a, a homosexual, a male, a homosexual who submits to male homosexuals. In other words, they, they, they turn tricks. They're male prostitutes and they allow uh, other homosexuals to abuse them. It's a gross thought, I know. And that's what this young man was. As soon as he stepped out, I, I, I knew what it was by the Spirit of God. And you could also just look at him. I mean, if you've ever seen anybody that, that's involved in that kind of depravity... They don't look normal. And so as he waited, made his way down, I just, I was up on the platform, I think, and I just waited for him. Not, maybe I had the pulpit down here, but I just waited for him. Come down to the front. I said, what do you need tonight? He said, I need to get these devils out of me. <laughs> and so I cast the devil out of him. But see, I was, before just doing it, I, I, had, a, I had a leading of the Holy Spirit. It's really a word of knowledge. And a word of wisdom. When he comes down here, cast the devil out of him. That's when ministering to the oppressed is effective when the spirit leads you. But people get into trouble just imagining stuff. You know, you can see people that look weird. And you think to yourself, that person's got devils. I know he does. He's just full of the, he's just got spirits. You, know, you, you sort of, and, and sometimes you're probably right. But you might not be. Some people just look weird, you know, and act weird. And uh, be led of the Holy Spirit. We need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Jesus made this interesting comment about casting out devils. Uh, you know, the disciples came to him and said, you know, we found somebody else and they were casting out devils in your name, but they, didn't, they weren't with us. And Jesus made an interesting statement. He said, do not forbid them. He said, for those who are not against us are for us. And he said this, he said, no man can perform a miracle in my name without something. I forgot what he said. No man can, what did he say, uh, Brad? No man can do a miracle in my name that can lightly, yeah, lightly speak evil of me. So that tells me that casting demons out of, out of people has to do with a miracle ministry. Well, that, in other words, it's not just an ordinary thing. 
And so that either requires the gift of special faith or working of miracles. I've, I've cast demons out of people before where the gift of faith was in operation. And when that, when that gift is in operation, it's, it's, it's amazing. You suddenly, it's like God walks up behind you and throws a, a, like a, a cloak over you. You know, you'd know it if somebody came up behind you and threw a big blanket on you. That's what it feels like. All of a sudden, this, the anointing comes on. You just feel like Superman. You just feel like, where, where's the devil? And, uh, you know, I went to cast the devil out of a man one night and, and on the way over there, his parents said, yeah, he needs deliverance. On the, on the way I'm over there, I'm driving, I'm thinking, okay, what kind of deliverance does he need? I've never done that before. And so I'm praying and I'm, and I'm confessing, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Glory to God. You know, I just thanking God that I'm anointed, you know. And what was I doing? I was exercising my faith. But when I drove up to his house and got out of the car, that cloak came on me. Now I'm not exercising faith myself. The Holy Spirit, the gift of faith has come and it just sort of takes over. It's the Holy Spirit operating faith through that person. In that case, in this particular case, me. The Spirit of God began to operate faith through me. I ran up to that house threw open the door, cast the, he was on the floor, you know, tearing curtains off the walls and all this sort of things. And I just cast the devil out of him. But it came about by the anointing. That's the whole point. Uh, as Christians, we need to not get off into error. We're not looking for demons under every leaf and behind every bush. We don't want to be demon conscious. We want to be Holy Ghost conscious. And if we stay Holy Ghost conscious, we will overcome. I'm just saying that because I perceive in the, in the time ahead, we're going to see more of this. Amen. And uh, we, need to, we need to know what uh, our authority is and what the limits of our authority is. Amen. So God bless you. We'll see you next time. See you Sunday. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.